0: Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Butcher Barbecue Podcast. We have a world-renowned musical instrumentalist. His love and passion for barbecue is as great as it is for his music. Listen in to his recipe for both. Welcome to the Butcher Barbecue Podcast, world headquarters, Wellston, Oklahoma. The butcher Turnpit master, your host, David Bosca. This week's guest is Christopher Wells. He is a big-time barbecue enthusiast, and a multi-instrumentalist. Man, I know I'm not going to say that, right? So that's as close as I can get. (laughs) Christopher, say hello to everybody. Hello,
1: everyone. I hope uh, everyone is enjoying this nice Friday, having those grills out and ready to fire them up and do some cooking.
0: That's right. Hey, we all like these Fridays. That gives us a lot of weekend time on them, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. Sure does. Where are you at right now?
1: I am in Virginia at present on a little mini vacay. And uh, out by the Chesapeake Bay, where they have a lot of uh, great fishing. I'm quite the novice at it, but I'm more into the process. And uh, just uh, just in a bit of a holding pattern until I can get back out to California and uh, start doing some shows and some more recordings.
0: Well, you said recording, you said show. Tell everybody what Christopher Wells does. Okay. Well,
1: as you mentioned earlier, I'm a multi-instrumentalist. I've been singing and playing uh, most of my life since I was a kid. As of late, I was playing in a band, uh, sitting in with him out of Nashville, Tennessee called the all time low stars. And that has Mr. Peter keys, who is the keyboardist from Leonard's Kennedy, and Mr. Kenny Olson, who is the guitar player from kid rock and a whole bunch of other legendary folks. And I've been uh, sitting in with them and, uh, I do that. And, uh, before the, uh, pandemic. Uh, was doing a lot of touring and was about to head overseas to start doing uh, pre-promo and some feeler shows in Europe. Uh, but that didn't happen. And uh, if nothing else, the extra time got me to focus more on my barbecue skills. So you have to take the blessings where they lay.
0: Hey, That's right. I, I appreciate you reaching out to us. I really am looking forward to this conversation awesome so how did your passion for cooking start
1: I would say it's always been a part of my life I remember being a young child and uh, my folks are from St. Louis and during the summertime around the 4th of July we'd always have these big family cookouts and barbecues and there'd be about five or six grills going with everything you can imagine on it. Uh, I was a fan of the ribs from an early age, like the St. Louis style uh, spare ribs. And that just being on the road a lot, sometimes the only time you get a meal in is if the venue has a grill there and you go by a market and get something and you cook out. So you start getting into it. And then, as that's one of your only focuses, you kind of go more towards that. And so over time I just developed a bit of a passion for, like I would go to a different town and say, okay, what's their kind of, they have a good brisket here. Okay, cool. So I would check that out. Like I was in Austin and I was eating so much brisket and then I would go to New Orleans and I would see what they had going on there and the differences flavor wise. And I really started getting into it, you know, like, you know, what combination of woods were used to get that final effect, you know, to get that perfect ring and to get that bark because without that bark, it's not really happening, you know? So there's (laughs) art, just like music. It's the same thing. It's different ingredients and different uh, variables and time. And balance You know so
0: Yeah I guess we could Use the scenario There's none of it bad But there's just some Better than others For each individual Flavor profile Exactly That's cool
1: Exactly Depends on your palate Because Some people were Born in the spicy house And what I mean by that is There was lights Of hot sauces And Red pepper flakes And everything And so their Their palate's gonna be used to that and other people may come from a bit of a more neutral palate or even blended sometimes so something that can be amazing to someone else if their depth of knowledge of what they're eating isn't good enough it might be pointless
0: that's right i that's a great way to put it and i really like the way you broke it down like that so what do you cook on most of the time? Let's say they're in Virginia or, because you said Chesapeake Bay right there. And yeah. do you grill much fish that you've talked about? Actually, I grill a lot of fish.
1: Um, for me, the thing about grilling fish, it takes, it's relatively very quick. And I love the whole process of, you know, getting the calls just right, you know, and and just the timing of it and going through all of the you know, the things that come with it, all the points of the process. And fish, you know, right when you're getting into it, it's already done.
0: (laughs) Okay, so you really enjoy the time put into it, not just the preparation, but sitting there managing a fire. So a low and slow is more your style. Most definitely. Most definitely. I mean
1: Of course, depending on what kind of meal you're having, if it's some burgers and, you know, some sausages or something like that, you know, it's not going to be too intensive, but my whole thing is it's that process because it goes back. It's a very primal and primitive and sacred thing to me. You know, it's just not cooking food for a substance. There's so much behind it. Like, the first people on the planet, you know, when they fire and you know they they hunted their quarry and they cooked it and that was millions of years ago you know and it's that's just amazing that now it's still such a widely heralded art you know and it's
0: amazing so what do you cook on mostly what type of a cooker
1: I usually cook on like a Something I got just kind of off of Amazon and one of those sites, like a Weber. Okay. I kind of like the o- kettle Weber. And then I oh, do. Oh, yeah,
0: it, yeah.
1: Where I kind of uh, I have the separator for the uh, coals at the bottom. And so I can get that nice indirect flow going. And, you know, just the experimenting with some people say have the the holes on the top you know i guess the, the exhaust all the way open some say to partially close it some say to keep the bottom one so i'm always kind of experimenting and it gets a little expensive but uh hence uh some questions i might have to ask you later
0: <laughs> i'm all in let's just jump right into that part of it what yeah. type of food do you cook a lot of and what are you known for?
1: I cook a lot of chicken. Actually, to kind of backtrack, I do do a cool little smoked salmon. But my favorite is just, uh, as of late, is just the, the art of the brisket. Because there's so many things that have to be correct with it. You know, there's, you know, not too many things, can not too many forgivances if you don't do it properly. You know, from the applying moisture and, you know, making sure the, the airflow is proper. It's like a, a super science. But, uh,
0: oh, that's I'm right. Known for,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm known for my ribs, my chicken, you know. I do some interesting burgers. I like to use a lot of, uh, instead of using a lot of salt, I like to use a lot of herbs and get flavor from the right balance of herbs that this flavor enough that you don't need to just like you know put a bunch of salt on it. i think you're you know kind of missing out on which how you can kind of you know get a better flavor and actually make it healthier for you
0: depending on your so for the burger meat would you think that maybe thyme or rosemary is that what you're um kind of put in with it more or what other herbs
1: I'm, I do like a. You have to be really careful with rosemary because it's it's very strong. So, mm-hmm. using a bit of basil, and mind you, these are really really small amounts because at the end of the day, the burger's the star. You know, it's not about the the flavors. You know, I mean the the the, the herbs, they help. To, it's like the supporting cast, essentially.
0: So. Yeah. That's pretty much interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's dive into well, you brought up brisket. Mm -hmm. So let's just let's just look at that. Let's see what we can throw our two cents in for that. I think that purchasing the meat is as important, if not more important, than the cooking method itself. And what I mean by that is You need a great piece of aged brisket. I think with the brisket being aged makes all the difference in the world for tenderness. If we can help with getting the tenderness taken out of the scenario of getting it cooked right, then that will give you one less thing to be concerned with coming towards the end of the cook, whether has it gotten tender yet or not. And if you can ever find a brisket at a retail market that, you know, the production date and a lot of your butchers, your meat cutters in the stores, they'll go back and look on the box for you. All you got to do is ask them. And by doing that, if you can, well, let's just start with this. Would you be buying a whole, what they call a whole packer brisket Or maybe just the flat that is traditionally used for slicing? Uh,
1: The latter, the flat.
0: Okay. You can buy just the flat vacuum packed from the manufacturer, from the production, and by looking at that, if you can find one that is anywhere from 30 to 35 days, that's a good number. If you can find one 40... That would be ideal. If the production is 16 to 20 days, put it in your refrigerator in an area that stays as cold as possible and let it, it's called wet aging. Let it just sit and get older in the bag that it came from. If it's been trimmed up and it's been in a package from the meat market itself with the tray underneath it, and it's just kind of wrapped with their plastic, you you won't be able to hold it that long. The right. bacteria from the air will decay it more and it'll go sour. If you can find a prime grade or a choice grade brisket, that's really good. If you have a market around, and they're around nowadays, if you can find a Wagyu brisket, that is even that much more superb. Sorry. They're not as prevalent found as a choice or a prime. Right. What, what Japanese, are you able to find in your area?
1: I would say more of choice and, and prime. Okay. A, uh, that, that would be amazing because I know that's, uh, that has a higher fat content mm-hmm. to it.
0: And a bit more correct than tomorrow. well let's just say we let's just start with choice that's probably going to be the most common a brisket flat will weigh on the average five six to seven nine pounds mm-hmm. and it's going to be about 10 12 inches long and five six inches across how does that fit on your grate what size of a Weber do you have? A 22-inch? What do you got? I think
1: that's what it's, it's
0: not. I believe it's like a, I think a 22-inch.
1: I think that's correct. But I think that would fit on there perfectly.
0: That does sound what it should be, unless you've got one of those jumbo Weber's, but most of them are the 22-inch grate. Yeah, it's not the jumbo. Okay. What we need to be careful with is the Weber's are the great level is so close to the charcoal or the wood that it's going to get very charred very quick. So what we have to do is build our coals way off to one side. And if you have the ability to get a piece of metal that can go all the way up to great level, Well, probably about an inch from grate. That will help be a heat deflector and give you some cool areas on the grate to keep the meat from drying out.
1: I actually have one that came with the grill. It fits in the bottom of it for the charcoal. It's like a little divider, little thing.
0: I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. It looks like a half moon or something.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yep. Yep. Well, Well, let's start with that. Do you use briquettes, or do you use lump charcoal?
1: Most of the time, it's briquettes. And I've been experimenting with putting some applewood, some, you know, after uh, soaking it, of course, the the wood chips, just to impart other flavors in there.
0: Mm -hmm. I was going to say, let's stick with your briquettes. A little knowledge there. Is when a briquette is made, well, sorry, um, when you're cooking with briquettes, you're not going to be able to get a smoke ring without using wood like you're talking about. If you use lump charcoal, you don't need any wood and you'll get a smoke ring. The downside to lump on such a small surface area that you're going to have Lump burns so hot that you will probably burn or dry out the edges of the brisket. So I think your choice with briquettes is ideal. And then adding a chunk of wood through the cook is the right way to go. What type of, um, spices do you like on it? Do you like salt, pepper, garlic, good old Texas style? Do you like to add other things to your brisket?
1: I actually just like the salt, pepper, and the garlic. Just starting with that, you know. I okay. think the end the end results using much better. You know, yes. simplicity.
0: I I'm a firm believer in injecting brisket. I don't know if you've ever jumped into that world, but got, that's what we're pretty well known for. But injecting a brisket allows a lot of moisture in there. And it would definitely help keep it moist throughout it. If you don't have any injection, let's just go with it raw. And if you're a salt, pepper, garlic person, let's step back to the salt itself. If you're going to say for just kicks and giggles, you're going to mix it up and you're going to put a tablespoon of salt in it, split it in half use half of a regular ground salt, the other half a flake salt. And the reason so is the table salt will melt and get into the meat and help bring the natural flavors out because that's what salt does. It's a natural flavor enhancer. But the flake salt will stay on the surface and allow your palate to pick it up a little quicker And that will bring the juices and the meat that you're eating alive in your mouth with that salt.
1: Oh, that makes complete sense because it's, it's, it's too big to go down in the pores and it just hangs there.
0: (laughs) That's right. And you could do the same thing with black pepper. You can get a fine ground black pepper and then you can get a restaurant blend black pepper that will help stay on the surface a little better, and you'll be able to see it a little more. So sometimes it's a little bit of visual. Right. So
1: okay. what, what do you apply? What, what do you do with your garlic
0: application? Garlic? I I just like a ground garlic. And garlic is the freshness of it has everything to do with it. There's a lot of markets out there you can buy garlic in bulk. You can buy just the shaker bottles. And most of it is either Chinese garlic or California garlic. If you can buy the California garlic, the pungeness of that is wonderful. I love the California garlic. So you may have to taste it to make sure it doesn't overbearing anything else. But... I like just a ground-dried garlic so that it does soak into the meat. Okay, we've got some rubs. Application. How far in advance do you like to apply your rubs to your brisket?
1: I try to have them on there at least four hours ahead of time.
0: That's a good number. I like that.
1: But I've heard some people say it's longer, but you you can't come back once you've gone past a certain point with it. So just to be safe, about four hours.
0: There's nothing wrong with four hours. Four hours is a good time. Mm -hmm. I am a six to eight hour person, but I'm going a little different way than you are. Okay. But four hours would be perfect for what you got. Mm -hmm. I am also the kind that when I apply my rub, I don't like wrapping it in foil. I don't like wrapping it in saran wrap. I like for it just to sit there put it in the refrigerator and just let it melt, come to life, whatever you want to call it, but just let it be absorbed. Right. Yeah. I I worked hard to get it exactly where I want it. I don't want something so simple as a plastic wrap to rub it off.
1: Right. Now, do you find, do you do do anything else besides the garlic and yours? that makes it so you have to do it for... I didn't know if there was something within your preparation that having it on there for six to eight hours wouldn't be a bad consequence considering me having the garlic, salt, and pepper-based one at a shorter time. Are you adding something different or less?
0: No. I do like a little celery. Um, I do like a little bit of sugar, but that's just personal preferences. You know what I'm saying? It's basically a barbecue rub, but that's, that's what I'm just putting on it. But I do layer. I do like, we've got a a commercial rub that we sell and I put that on first. Then I put my barbecue rub on top, but I like that layering. And in my um, rub, we put on first, we do have the two types of salt that I spoke of, and it's for that very reason. Okay. That have you ever used are, are a you, binder between the two to get it to stick?
1: Uh, I've experimented using uh, some mustard. I've seen some folks do that as a binder, and they say if you do the right amount of it, you really can't taste it. And it's, it kind of neutralizes, I guess, after you cook it or something but they, I've heard I've used that one as a binder and I didn't, it didn't come out as well as not having it on there and just putting it in the meat. But I didn't know I might've had like a temperature variance or something, but I definitely did try it though. Have you had success with that? With the mustard?
0: I don't use it on a regular basis, but I did want to run a test one time. And so I bought a Chuck roast And they came directly off of each other right beside each other on the same piece of meat. So I wanted to just see what it would do. Well, I took one Chuck roast and I did smear it in mustard and I put salt and pepper on it and that was it. The other Chuck roast I did not. And all I did was put salt and pepper on it. I am not a mustard eating person, just a little bit of mustard on anything. And it's almost too much for me. I just don't eat a lot of mustard. And I was really concerned that that's going to be overbearing. Anyway, we smoked them. We cooked them, pulled them out. First off, no mustard taste. The right. one I put mustard on fell apart. The one I did not put mustard on, I had to slice. So I know that's what I thought. (laughs) And I was just, I was actually blown away with that um, test. So, and I just used table mustard, nothing special. I've even thought of trying to find a spiced mustard just to see if it changes anything or brings more to the table. I should say, but the test was really, really good.
1: That's interesting. I wonder it's it's almost like a that not just a binder but like a tenderizer, I guess, you would say.
0: It would have to like, be the vinegar in it, is the only thing I could figure out. But yes, that's the only thing it would have changed.
1: That's neat. I've never done the side yeah. the side comparison, it's usually one or the other, so I I was fortunate enough.
0: We was having a big family that over that evening. So I had, it's not like I didn't have to cook.
1: (sighs) (laughs) I hear you. Those are the best times because they will be the family will be the most honest about your cooking. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's right. And my daddy was always my biggest critic. He would, he would praise you when it was right. I mean, he would tell you this was amazing. But he was also the first one to tell you, yeah, that's not your best, bud. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Definitely. But but at least you know the truth and you can get to the next level compared to just saying, yeah, it's great. It's great. But there's a balance.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. Everybody thinks it's good when it's free. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> All right. We've got some rub on the brisket. We're going to let it set Four, hours something like that do you put your brisket on your grate cold or do you let your brisket come to room temperature i
1: put it on there i at first i started putting it on there cold and then i thought it would be a lot better for the cooking process to you know have to deal with that extra temperature variance so i started getting it to room temperature And then putting it on. And I found that it was a bit better doing it that way.
0: I'm going to tell you my thoughts. But if it works for you, you have to do it the way it works for you throughout this whole podcast, whatever I tell you. Okay? Okay. I am a cold person because generally I'm cooking on pellets or I do use charcoal in um, my charcoal grills. But the reason so is meat absorbs smoke up to 120 degrees. After that, you're not adding any smoke flavor to the meat. So for it to absorb and get a beautiful smoke ring, the colder that meat is, the more it's going to absorb. If you're at room temperature, let's say it's 75, 80 degrees, You put a brisket on a grill that's, let's say, 225, Mm -hmm. it's going to get to 120 very quick. But if I can put it on there coming out of the refrigerator at 35, 40 degrees, I give myself an extra 30 minutes, maybe an hour. So that's the reason I do it. That makes sense, though. That makes sense. Uh, I'm learning so much. This is awesome. Well, I appreciate that when it's all said and done, I'd love to even get a phone call just on the side or something and say, Hey, I did this. I did this. It worked, but this happened. Hey, let's work it out. We'll figure it out later. And then we'll come back and I'll tell everybody on the podcast what we did.
1: Most definitely. All right.
0: We're cooking it. We've decided that we know that we need to leave the charcoal to one side so that it is offset and not going to be charring. You had mentioned that you like to put some wood in it. Mm-hmm. Do you drop it in immediately or do you go a little while and put it in? I go a little while and then
1: put it in. That's what I've done okay.
0: most of the times. I am not into, cause you had mentioned you soak your wood. Mm-hmm. I'm not into that. I don't buy into that. The wet wood, what it does when it smolders. It's actually putting out a dirty smoke. Okay. I am a firm believer in a clean smoke. I like the flavor of the wood. I'm not a fan of that Kriya um, dirty smoke flavor. Okay. Yeah. I can pick it up. If you're in a really bad, dirty cooker, even as it warms up, I still get that creosote flavor.
1: And baked tune,
0: in. makes in. So, let's let's look at your cooker. You had mentioned that some say um, leave the bottom vent open, closed the top open, closed. Now, when it comes to a Weber, I'm a firm believer in leaving the top wide open, so that you don't accumulate any dirty smoke in the top of that the dome, because that meat's sitting real close to the top. Keep your temperature adjusted With your inlet You need a good clean fire But you definitely Need to make sure that you don't Damper it out So if you have it wide open On top Then that will allow Any dirty smoke to release But it's going to control your Draft because you're going to Be able to open and close it from the bottom Right Okay that's My rule of thought whenever I'm cooking in that type of an environment. And once you get your coals going, you can add your charcoal and, or your chunks of wood real easy. And sometimes you might leave that lid off a little bit to let the fires and the embers to spark back up good. So it doesn't build that dirty smoke and fire inside the chamber Then put your lid on it.
1: It's like recycling the air.
0: (laughs) Pretty well. Yep. Rotate your brisket. Spin it half a time around. You know, let's say it's on the one half of the grate. Say about Mm -hmm. every 30 minutes, pick it up, spin it around, set it back down on the grate. Pick it up, spin it around. About every 20, 30, 40 minutes. And it's going to make all the difference in the world with airflow. How far open you have your... Um, dampers How much air and blowing is going on Outside in the wind The elevation you're cooking at Makes a big difference If you're in Colorado it's one thing If you're where you're at in Virginia On the sea level it's different I'm just thinking of a process going through Do you ever wrap your brisket Or do you try to cook it All the way through
1: I've tried a mix of both Okay, And There was a bit better in products. And I wrap it in the foil and then finish it the cooking
0: that way. I'm a firm believer in wrapping a brisket, but a lot of folks wait too late in the cook cycle to wrap. A lot of them will say, well, it got to the 170-75 stall and it just sat there. That's because what you have to remember is in a brisket, the moisture in there, the water that we're trying to save for the end so that it stays moist and juicy while we're eating it for it to be cooking. It has to start dissipating it out of the meat. The longer you leave it in that cook chamber, the more is going to come out. The muscle fibers starts dissipating the moisture at about 140 degrees. Okay? Okay. So if you can catch it at about a, I don't, I think that's way too early to wrap personally. But I like wrapping at about 150 to 155. And I'm talking internal temperature right in the middle of the meat. Wrap it thin and let it scream all the way up past the, the stall period. So you don't lose that moisture. Once it's wrapped, you can kind of start to build your fire and raise the temperature. You don't want to char the edge of it yet because it will still char in aluminum foil. But you can go ahead and if you're cooking at 260, take it to 280. But if you wrap it early enough, you will save a ton of moisture. When you wrap, if you add just a little bit of stuff, and I'm talking liquids, this is where you can kind of help with the flavor. If you feel like your brisket is a little bit off on flavor, generally when it's finished, This is where you can change it. If you want a little bit of beef broth, put it in there. If you like cooking with, um, let's say, an ale beer, put a little bit in there. And I'm talking just a quarter cup, maybe half a cup, according to the size of your brisket. If you like a sweet beef, okay, you can put apple juice in it. That's not my personal preference. I like the flavor of meat. (laughs) So... (laughs) The, The sweetness is not what I'm going for on brisket. As you wrap it, put a little bit of juice in there, wrap it up tight in aluminum foil, put it back on your grate. Now get it finished. Your finishing temperature will have everything to do with what I said at first, the age of the brisket. If you've got a brisket that is aged up to 40 days old, You can probably Mm -hmm. be pulling that brisket between 202 and 203. If it's not aged, you can probably pull it 205, 207. Mm -hmm. And that's provided that that flat is being cooked in five to seven hours. If you're having to go eight to nine, 10 hours, it's drying out still. It's not getting cooked fast enough.
1: Can we go back to for one second? Um, Absolutely. What about that bottom? Now you mentioned the positioning on the top grate, on the top vent.
0: I'm not following. What What are you asking?
1: And it's wide open, or is there a certain
0: uh, way you on do that on the bottom or one, do, or, yes, or the top one? The bottom one. Okay. You before you put your meat on there, what you have to do is get your temperature regulated. If you have that top wide open. You'll use that bottom one to get that temperature where you need it. Okay. So it right. every day is it's going it's to change according to the moisture in the air, how much charcoal you got in your grate already. So it you may start with it half open and just see where it starts to run before you put your brisket on there. Then once you put right. your brisket on there, it's going to dive 15, 20 degrees because you, you put a lot of cold meat inside that um, cooking chamber. So it'll take another 15, 20 minutes to get back regulated. So as far as the how you run those two um, openings, will you'll have to determine that before you put your meat on to know how to open and close them. Right. Okay? Right. Make some food Got it. And like I said, once you put that meat on there, remember it's going to crash, but it will regulate back up. And you may have to bump it to on the bottom to open it up to get a little bit more airflow. With more air, there's more embers. With more embers, there's more heat. So you may have to bump it for 10, 15 minutes. And as you go to see it climbing, when it's about 5 to 8 degrees before your temperature you want to hold it at, close it back down. Sort of slowly level back off as it climbs to that temperature. And here's a little something. After you cooked your first brisket, mm-hmm. when you open it up in the aluminum foil, there should be some juices, the au jus. What you can do is a couple things save that au jus, use a grease separator, and get rid of that grease that, that's a layer of it on top. And then you just got that richness of all that juice down in that foil. What that is, that is that beef, that rich cooked smoky beef, along with your salt, your pepper, your garlic. Put mm-hmm. that in a bowl and put it to the side. And after you sliced your brisket to serve, drizzle it across the top. Bring that charcoal flavor right back to the plate that's going, that people are going to dip off of. And if you have any left, put it in a container. And if you're not going to cook for a week or so, throw it in your deep freeze, save it, and then reuse it in your next brisket. Instead of adding beef broth, add that right there into your brisket. It makes that second brisket that much richer because you've already got all those flavors already cooked. And now you're just imparting it into the next piece of meat and you can keep it going. I call that my sourdough recipe. And that's what we do is we save it four, five, six times. Then we just start over fresh again. Wow. But that just helps intensify that brisket.
1: This is just amazing, amazing information. I mean, I'm already getting so many things are starting to make sense. Just the theories behind them. You know, and I, I really appreciate your information. This is so awesome.
0: Well, Christopher, I I appreciate being able to share this. I really, really enjoy doing this. And this is what I do. And trust me, I will not pick up a guitar. I will not pick up a drum set until I call you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sounds like a plan.
0: <laughs> All right. We've got the brisket cooked. I've kind of given you some timelines, some temperatures to go for. But you can also tell when it's done with the good old toothpick. If you cook by feel or if you cook by temperature, the feel, when you poke it into that brisket, it just needs to slide in like you're pushing it into hot butter. Okay? Right. Now let that brisket set. Don't want to actually open it up yet. You don't want, and the reason so, let's say you hit your 203 degrees, okay? And you're not quite tender, but you do know that you normally let it rest an hour. Then what you have to remember is the muscle fibers in meats really start breaking down between 190 and 200 Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the reason that's generally the time frame when briskets get tender. The longer they're in that time frame, the more tender it's going to be. So if you pull it out at 203 and it spent, let's say, the last 45 minutes of getting finished in that time zone. I'm sorry, in that temperature zone, mm-hmm. and you open that brisket up all of a sudden you just flashed it with room temperature air and you just chilled it down to 185 degrees. You stopped all um, muscle fibers being broke down and tenderizing, leave it wrapped up, set it on a counter, wrap it in a paper. I'm sorry. Uh, a towel. Mm -hmm. Just let it just stay and do what it's got to do. After it's set for an hour, and you need to open it back up, the bark on it will be soft. There's no doubt about it. If you would what I what I've done a lot of times, I'll open it up, set it out on a cutting block, and let it sit 10 minutes. That will firm back up. That rub will just readhere. If you want more than what you see, apply a little bit more on it just set it back out on your charcoal or if it's still running and it won't take 10, 15 minutes with that warm airflow and it'll firm right back up. You're not trying to reheat it back to 200. You're just trying to get that outside little surface hot enough to charge just a little bit, bring it back in, slice it. That's, that's, that's brisket.
1: I've never had it explained in that way where all the different steps and components make complete sense. You know, I, I, my, my mind is racing now because I'm not doing it <laughs> properly. All the way I got
0: me. a feeling Christopher's going to study this weekend and he might grab him a brisket.
1: You know what? I think you're, uh, I think you're correct on that one. As soon as we get off of this call, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and get, get some on the way.
0: <laughs> awesome. To- well, Christopher, anything else about this brisket, this process? Um, I'm trying to think. Anything that I can think of that we can add to it? You said you add wood. Have we talked about the type of wood?
1: Um, No, we've talked about, I mentioned I used apple and hickory. And I've always loved and I'm actually going to experiment with some oak this weekend and try. To me,
0: oak is really plainer. To me, I don't get as much out of it. Just personal preference. It's how I pick it up. I like pecan and hickory for beef. That's just my preference.
1: What's your go-to? Pecan. If you get, pecan, get some pecan chips going to, this is going to be great. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really super excited. It's kind of shifted my plans for the weekend a little.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of fables out there that don't believe, don't get into. If you if you study brisket enough, you've you've heard the old "Do you want a left side or a right side brisket?" Don't get into that. There's no difference in it. Have you ever heard of a left side or a right side ribeye? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're going to have to just take my word on this. I did 34 years in the meat business. That's that's what I do. Now, you just trust me, there's not a left and right side brisket.
1: That's just a, a wife, what do they call
0: it? I forget the time. tail. yeah, fable. Yeah. yeah. The only real difference in briskets is on a cow versus a bull. Um, a female has one rib bone more on one side than the other. And that's just because that's the side that she carries her calf on when she's carrying one. It's just a protective thing. But the brisket is up in the middle, in between the front legs. It has no bearing on that. Well, okay. Christopher, if you have any other questions, we'll get into it. If not, I've got a few for you. Go right ahead. You've All right. pretty much, just to let you know before you get
1: into it, you've just really opened my mind. just the possibilities of getting you know at the end of the day I want to come up with an amazing product that I let my friends and family taste and they're blown away you know for for me I don't don't ever think it would be to the point of a competition but just as kind of a personal thing where I've had a couple amazing experiences with some amazing brisket and it's just something I've wanted to conquer so at least with today's information i have a bit more to help me uh, get to that goal. And thank you so much.
0: That is great to hear. And utilizing the information is what it's going to be about. Those that feel that they cook great and still ask questions aren't being honest with themselves. Every one of us can learn something about anything if you just listen. Mm Mm-hmm. So, but what we do on our podcast is towards the end of it here, I've got a lot of injection needles out there. I'm going to inject you with a butcher barbecue truth serum. I'm going to ask you just a few questions. You got to be truthful with your answers. Okay. Okay. These are some fun questions. It's more or less how, just to get people to know you a little bit. Okay. Okay. If you're fixing or you're not fixing, what is your favorite time to eat? Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Dinner. What do you eat more for dinner? Uh, Takeout, or do you cook more? I cook more. All right. See how simple they are? They're they're not (laughs) (laughs) earth-shattering. And I'd mentioned this in the um explanation of the brisket but when you are cooking are you a temperature person or you're a feel person for when food is done
1: a feel person
0: now you got just a little bit of true serum in you still so i got time for one more question what actor would you like to see play you in a movie uh that's a heck of a question <laughs> i don't know
1: i that's a heck of a question. I think that's one of the first questions of my life I've not been able to answer. <laughs> never, never short, for, short for words. I guess the guy, uh, the guy that plays—I uh, don't
0: know. All right. Well, let's—we'll leave that in alone, and I'll just ask you one. Will that, Smith. It, oh, Will Smith. Okay. Oh Will yeah. Smith. Yeah, I like that. That's a great answer. Yeah. All right. One last question, okay. What is the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Gooey duck It's spelled okay.
1: G-E-O-D-C-K. And what I, is
0: that like? I've got to ask.
1: It was like a giant mild clam taste, but I just did it soft because not soft. I would say it's about a mid not it's like between it's not like so firm that it gives tooth resistance and nothing anything like that but it kind of uh, I don't know it's like in in the middle somewhere and it Mm. also depends on I've had it cooked very well and I've had it cooked bad and the time it was cooked well it seemed that it was that it was a nice and medium texture I would say it wasn't so mushy that it was odd but it wasn't so firm that your teeth had to fight with it you know, with All the right. sand. And it had a nice, mild flavor. And I guess people find them in on the, I guess, in the Sound in Seattle, the different areas. And they, I guess, kind of squirt through the sand. They kind of squirt up. And so people see little spouts coming up. And you have to dig down. And they're huge. They're really, really big. It looks uh, like an elephant snout inside of a... Oh,
0: yeah. hmm. That's a first. I asked a person last night on a podcast, that same question. It wasn't my podcast. It was his. And he said, crickets. I went, really? And he said, yeah, it kind of reminded him of smoked almonds. And I told him, I said, well, that's going to make me look at almonds all different.
1: You <laughs> you guys taste like crickets, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, Christopher, that's all I've got. I want to say thank you for the time and I really appreciate it.
1: And Where so can anybody
0: rec- follow you or stay up with you and watch you through your cook? Anything like that? What would you like to put out there?
1: Um, you can do some searches. I've done some barbecue reviews, a couple. I'm really starting to get uh, into doing more of those. and uh, Just with the, the band, we just put out a great new record. I uh, did it at a great studio where amazing bands are recorded. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at The Nevolutionaries. And I invite you to check it out. It's really cool stuff. It's I uh, put as much love into my music as I do my cooking. And I, I really love my cooking. you know. So uh, I hope you all check it out. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And thank you once again, David, for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Christopher, I really appreciate you and I I appreciate what you're going to bring to this broadcast because I get to talk to a lot of cooks that are doing competition cooking. Right. And we really forget. And I don't want to say forget, I don't even want to say leave behind, but sometimes the basic steps of cooking we don't even realize. So this really opens up my eyes and I hope it opens up everybody else's eyes that sometimes the basics has got to get right before you can go anyplace else. That's true. Well, Mr. Wells, thank you very much. This will be the end of the podcast. And I want everyone to listen in here at the end. I got a gentleman going to speak and he's going to tell you how to like and share this podcast. Sir, appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. And I'm going to look for your seasoning, too. I'm interesting, interested to try
0: it. Well, that's easy to find. Butcher BBQ, butcherbarbecue.com. Smash that subscribe button and be ready for Butcher's next podcast.